chapter 9. I'm going to read the whole chapter all in one chunk, so kind of put your thinking caps on and focus and pay attention here as we read a long section of Scripture. As I go through the points, usually I kind of pull back in sections of the passage again and cover the whole thing from start to finish. We're not going to do that this morning, so it's really important that you pay attention to what's going on here in our opening reading. So with that, God's Word says this, as he passed by, the he there is Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, this is really an important point here, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Again, I am the light of the world. Verse 6, having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with mud and said to him, go wash in the pool, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus, made mud, and anointed my eyes, and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. Verse 13, they then brought uh, to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him since he opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. Verse 22, this is an important fact. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he's of age. Ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? They reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. 
You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man, the conclusion, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin. Would you teach us? And they cast him out. Verse 35, who comes, right? Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, hear this, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world that those who do, not, who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Verse 41, Jesus said to them, if, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see your guilt remains. This is the word of the Lord. What an amazing Savior we have What an amazing Savior that we worship. Jesus came to do the works of his Father, bring sight to the blind, shine the light of truth which divides those who truly see him for who he is and those who clench their eyes closed to the glory of the Son of Man. In C.S. Lewis's classic allegory, his classic story called The Great Divorce, the reader is presented with the sad reality of the willful and continued disobedience of those who reject heaven, even when it shines upon them and gives them every reason to see and believe. In that book, there's one memorable exchange early in in the book, a, a theologian who's made the long journey by bus to kind of check out heaven, to see what it's all about. He exchanges words with heavenly beings uh, to, to come and see the glorious mountains of heaven. That's the invitation to this man. And yet he negotiates and wrestles with the offer of heaven and to see all that, that heaven entails. The man desires to, to influence it in a direction that would be of benefit to his supposed wants. He begs for certain assurances of, in heaven, and then he'll go and see as if he should have some sort of rights to the economy of the gifts of heaven. The heavenly beings then respond to his request to have a a sphere of usefulness. They say, and I quote uh, Lewis's work, No, (laughs) I can promise you none of these things. No sphere of usefulness. You are not needed there at all. No scope for your talents. Only this, only forgiveness for having perverted them. No atmosphere of inquiry. Here's the truth of the matter here. For I will bring you to the land, not of questions, but of answers, and you shall see the face of God. That's the offer of heaven to this man. You don't bring anything into the equation. God is everything in heaven. The visitor ultimately refuses the open invitation, choosing instead to walk in his own way, the path right back down to hell. The great divorce is what the book is called. And this section, which I've titled The Great Divide, reminds, me, reminds us of, of the presentation of heaven to the characters in this passage or pericope. The religious leaders negotiating, dictating the terms of heaven in their distorted views compared to the blind man who brings nothing. The blind man brings us nothing but the simplicity of belief and obedience to Jesus. 
One is granted vision to see heaven in his midst, Jesus, God in the flesh. But the neighbors, as we found, the parents and the religious leaders continue on the bus to the great divide far from Christ. Doubling down on their disobedient position. Beauty before them in Christ. Forgiveness given freely, but rejected because of pride, self-righteousness, and as it says here of his parents, fear of man's opinion. All because their earthly expectations weren't met by the person of Jesus. And this brings us to our main idea. A great divide between Jesus and his opponents is clearly seen. A great divide between Jesus and his opponents is clearly seen. We'll skip around a little bit. Verse 28, 29, and then we'll go to the end of the passage, 39 to 41. It says this, And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciples. They're speaking of the blind, or the man that was formerly blind. You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, that's Jesus, we do not know where he comes from. Jesus later responds to the religious leaders, Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, like here's the verdict. If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see your guilt remains. I have to point, uh, I want to kind of pull us out of this passage and just give an overview of a few chapters that we're in right now. There's something remarkable going on in the, in the greater theme of the chapters we find ourselves in that is we miss as we break down these passages into smaller bits to be able to preach. These chapters present a, a greater narrative that could be missed if not taken as a whole. And I have to point this out to you this morning. It's, a, it's the theme of this, of seeing and hearing Jesus that emerges throughout chapters 8 to 11. I have to to admit to you, I can't take credit for this remarkable connection. One of our church elders actually called me and pointed this out uh, a month or so ago when he saw me heading into this direction. He goes, hey, check this out. See if you see this as well. In chapter 8, Jesus highlights a title. He calls himself what? The light of the world, right? You've noticed that he said that quite a few times, that Jesus is the light of the world. Light is something you see, right, with your eyes. Like when I came in this morning, the lights were kind of dimmed down. We turned the lights on and I could see in here. My, my eyes, you know, they draw in the light and I can see and make out shapes. And so we, we see with our eyes. Our eyes must be open to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, to accept his claims, to receive him. The religious leaders, though, in this passage and, and throughout these chapters that we've been in, they slam their eyes shut to Jesus, refusing the light, and yet the humble blind man simply obeys the command of Jesus. He opens his his blind eyes as he washes the mud away in the pool, exalting Jesus as Lord, even in the face, as we found throughout chapter 9, in the face of every person turning against him. Following, you know, chapter 9, obviously is chapter 10, Jesus teaches a, a very famous passage where he talks about his sheep hearing his voice. He says, sheep hear his voice and they come to him. So then we see this idea of hearing, of hearing the word of Christ. And and in that passage in chapter 10, upon hearing this, throngs of Jews refuse to listen to Jesus. They close their ears to him. 
And yet, then if we were to go into chapter 11, again, a very famous chapter in John's gospel, Jesus's good friend, do you know who the good friend is that dies in chapter 11? Someone want to call it out? Lazarus. Jesus's good friend dies. But when Jesus arrives, coming to the tomb of Lazarus, he asks the stone to be rolled away and then declares these words with his mouth so that Lazarus, with his dead ears, can hear, Lazarus, come out! My sheep hear my voice. Even being bound up in grave clothes, He raises from the dead, brought back to life, because he heard the command of Jesus, rise up, live. All of this captured in four chapters. Don't don't miss this, because it's massively important to the claims that the Old Testament scriptures make of the coming day of the Messiah, which is fulfilled. The Isaiah 29, 18 is fulfilled in the ministry of Jesus where the blind see and, and the deaf hear, right? What's more deaf than a dead person? I've never been able to carry on a conversation with a dead person. They can't hear. Isaiah 29, 18 says, In that day the deaf shall hear the words of a book. And out of their gloom and darkness, notice this, the eyes of the blind shall see. Who has brought this to pass? But Jesus. The prophecy is fulfilled in these chapters. Overwhelming evidence to support Jesus' claims as Messiah. And yet, now coming back into this story, in the midst of physical healing and spiritual awakening to heavenly things, life didn't necessarily become easier for either the blind man or later we'll find for Lazarus. Today, we're going to get incredibly practical in learning the endurance in the face of trial, to endure in our faith in the face of trial after we receive sight from Jesus to see his light and ears to hear his call. And so here's the first point this morning. The first point is this, simply put, receive the healing. Receive the healing that Jesus offers you. Receive the gift that he has. This this story gives us a picture of, of what is before us, right? The decisions, heaven, eternity, and life with the author of creation. And I think there's another theme that emerges in this passage, the bringer of what we would call new creation. Jesus is is ushering in new creations. We're called new creations in Christ. And the question is, have you received this healing from Christ? John 9, 5-7. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground, right? He spit into the dust of the earth and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go wash in the pool. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The scripture is all one story. In in the beginning, God created all things with his word. But there is one creation he formed from the dust of the earth. A special and unique creation that God personally breathed life into. A creation that when formed, both man and woman, God looked upon and he said, this is very good. He 
humanity is set apart as a special creation made in the image and likeness of God to have dominion and, and subdue God's good creation, a special creation that would be fruitful and multiply the image of God and fill the earth with God's glory. That's our purpose. But ultimately, humanity chose its own way and deliberately disobeyed the command of God. A great divide occurred. But God had a plan. He always does. Just as he is the author of creation, he is also the author of new creation, found in the purposeful work of his son, Jesus Why the the dust and the saliva mixed together, the mud in the blind man's eyes? Obviously, like, Jesus is powerful enough to walk up to this man and say, hey, see. It would have just happened. And so it's not inconceivable that, that this mixture points to the new creation found in Jesus. There there are no accidents in God's ways. There's no happenstance. Jesus didn't just happen to use dust and the water of his mouth to bring healing. It points to the new creation that has come. This is exciting. Just as Jesus told Nicodemus, if we think way back to John chapter 3, that you must be what? Born again. We must also receive this new birth, the new creation found in Christ. Receive the healing of Jesus just as this blind man did in obedience to the command of Jesus, right? Go wash today in the water of salvation and healing found in Christ alone, right? The man didn't leave the mud in his eyes. Jesus came to him. He offered healing. He put the mud on his eyes. Like the blind man has mud on his eyes. I got to be careful. I don't want to fall off the stage. And Jesus said, go wash. He didn't say, oh, I'm just going to keep this. I can see, but I can't really see because I haven't cleaned. He obeys the word of Christ. And he goes into the waters. What an amazing symbol. And is washed. Wonder what that points to. Ephesians 2, 1, 4 to 5. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, even when we were blind to the light of the world, made us alive, made us to see together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. Salvation begins with receiving Jesus, the healing power he has to open our spiritually darkened vision. But our present problems will not likely be fixed in completion, right? Many of us deal with with sickness and relational issues, and life is tough sometimes, isn't it? In fact, when we become followers of Christ, our life actually may become a little bit more difficult. Just look at the blind beggar as an example. The gift of sight and salvation bring this, interrogation and difficulty. It's our second point. Stand firm, the interrogation. Stand firm in the face of those who doubt you, who question Let's acknowledge this. This man had a a remarkable physical transformation through the healing power of Jesus. It was noticeable, right? A blind beggar granted vision to see. Undeniable. Many did take notice. We notice his neighbors, right? The religious leaders, his parents, 
all interrogate and question what has just happened and on the Sabbath, no less. I want to skip around. We'll just kind of highlight each one of these groups that question. So we'll go from through John 9, 8, 13, 18, 19, 24, and 35. Verse 8, the neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? And then what do they do? They question him, don't they? They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. He's questioned again throughout that section. Verse 18, the Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see, right? Questioning his parents. Verse 24, so for the second time they called the man again who had been blind and said to them, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. Interrogated again. And then this is the most important questioning of this man's life. Jesus actually comes and asks him an important question. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. This is the beauty of Christ. After he had been thrown out, Jesus comes seeking the man. After he had been cast out, having found him, he said, Jesus says this, do you believe in the son of man? Question, 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 question. When we are changed by the power of God, expect that there will be questioning. There will be inquiry and interrogation. There may even be backlash as we witness in this man's life. Not even his parents dare stand with him for fear of the Jewish leaders. Even they... Right, Knowing full well that their son was born blind and now sees, they don't step forward to soften the controversy. They simply respond like, hey, why don't you go ask him? He's a grown man. He can handle it himself. The Pharisees pepper him with pressure and questions, not once, but twice. Calling him a liar in the first instance and then calling him to turn his back on the one who healed him. Right? Basically, his pastors are like, hey, get away from us. We don't believe you. But the man stood firm, the interrogation, the questioning of his healing, even to the point of rejection. He was cast out from his own people. Even though his position to God had changed, his earthly position was also changed. He was cast away. The scorned beggar is is now a scorned follower of Jesus. And this section, when we see the boldness of this simple, blind beggar should encourage us to do this. Stand firm in our faith. As the world looks upon us, some question, others openly mock, some close to you may walk away and leave you alone, and others will outright reject you, but we must stand firm with Jesus. You want to know why? Because he will never leave you nor forsake you. Because again, look who comes seeking him out after rejection. In verse 35, Jesus heard that they had cast him out and having found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? The story concludes with with the most important questioning, the questioning of Jesus After the man is cast away, Jesus comes calling, blind man, you've passed a serious test of faith. Now, do you believe? 1 Peter 3.15 came to mind, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, 
always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. That's what this man is doing. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Remember that, Christian. Will you stand firm when the questions mount, when the conversation becomes heated? Are you prepared to make a defense for the reason for the hope that is in you? Point number three, understand the cost of discipleship. Understand the cost of discipleship. This man stood firm in the interrogation, but it cost him everything. His, his neighbors questioned, his parents do not stand with him, and his religious leaders turned away. We must understand there is, at times in life, a cost in following Jesus, in being named one of his disciples, verse 30 to 34. The man working through the questioning with the Pharisees once again answered, why? This is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. What's amazing, I'm going to pause here. This simple blind beggar begins to make such an incredibly logical explanation for Jesus. Look at his, his, his gears turning in his brain. He says this, we know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a, blind, a man born blind. Then he comes to this conclusion. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. What's the conclusion? He must be from God. They dare not touch the claim. Then they just turn it on him. You were born in utter sin. You would teach us. You hear the pride and arrogance and self-righteousness in their tone. And what do they do? They cast them out. The interesting thing, they have no right to have, they have no authority to do that. Only Jesus has the authority to cast out. These guys overstep in a huge way. They cast them out. Life as he knows it has completely changed. Even this man's source of income and revenue has been taken from him. Like what is his profession, right? He's a beggar. It's plausible the man received at least a decent amount from begging in the temple area. And so even his, his quote-unquote profession, in a sense, is gone, his line of work. But the gift of Jesus is that the man can see, and it's clear that his physical sight is not the only thing that has been restored, but the blind eyes of his soul have also been opened to the glory of Christ. He speaks with clarity that which the, the Pharisees slam their eyes shut to, the power of God found in Jesus. He declares in the face of their, of their rejection of Jesus, he says this basically, I stand firm with my healer. He must be from God and he must be free of sin. Jesus is perfect. This simple begging man has exonerated God's son to the men who should have recognized Jesus, but it cost this man dearly, didn't it? Neighbors, family, religious society, his profession. I mean, what in the world is the guy going to do? But none of it matters. This man is devoted to his healer. All of these consequences and costs Fall to the background because Jesus sought this man out. Jesus initiated it. He opened his eyes. 
and he will seek him out once again. When everyone turns away, hear this truth, Jesus will be there. When everybody turns their back on you, Jesus will be there. Christian, be ready to pay the price for your faith in Jesus. The pressure is mounting to sway you away from following him, to force you to keep quiet. It reminds me of a great pastor and theologian, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I've shared often of him. This is a man that pastored in the times where Hitler's, Hitler came to power in Nazi Germany. And he had the opportunity. He, he, was, he was a German pastor, and he actually was in the United States for a period of time. And yet, in obedience to God's call in his life, he couldn't stand to stay here and pastor where it was safe. And so he went back to his homeland to minister and to speak truth. He was actually involved, believe it or not, in a plot to overthrow and kill Hitler. There's a movie made about it. And he leaves us a treasure of his written work, one of them called The Cost of Discipleship. Here's what happened to Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I think just weeks before a conclusion was brought to the war, he was hung by a piano wire naked and he died because he stood firm in his faith and calling in Jesus. And he gave us this powerful phrase. He said in, this, in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, simply this, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. This blind beggar has died to himself and he's now living in Christ. Jesus, Christian, hear this. Jesus wants all of you. And it may, in our society, it may not cost you everything. But if it does, we have this question. Will you follow him? Will you devote yourself to Christ? Point number four, speak boldly the confession of Jesus as Lord. Speak boldly the confession of Jesus as Lord. Such a simple and beautiful verse Jesus poses, right, the question. Do you believe in the Son of Man? In verse 38, the man answers, he said, Lord, I believe. You see how simple it is to receive Jesus. And what did he do? He worshiped him. I could imagine that he dropped face down in that same dust that Jesus had healed him with. And he worshiped at the feet. Of Jesus. Have you confessed with your mouth and believed in your heart that Jesus is Lord? Think of the progression of this man's belief if we just reflect on all of the writing of chapter 9. In verse 17, when he's challenged to know who, who this man was that's healed him, he simply says, He's a prophet, he's a truth speaker, right? In verse 25, the man stands ready to defend his healer. And then in verse 27, he actually, he does this. He invites his interrogators to follow Jesus. He goes, hey, do you guys want to be his disciple too? Then he becomes more bold. He 
corrects their misunderstanding of who Jesus is. The man declares, he, he can't be a sinner. If he is, God wouldn't have listened to him. And ultimately then, he confesses his belief in Jesus when he says, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped Jesus. What has occurred? The blind has seen, and not just the physically blind, but the spiritually blind. He is changed, given sight, given life, eternal life, resurrected life through the power of God's only son. So that this verse from the Apostle Paul, these verses from the Apostle Paul reign true. Hear this. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We talked about the great divide at the beginning. It's been brought together. The chasm that couldn't be crossed in our own power and our own will is overcome through the power of Jesus. For he himself is our peace. That's good news. Jesus is our peace. Who has made us both one. And has done, Jesus has done this. And has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Jesus has reconciled us to the Father. You want to know how he did that? Jesus lived perfectly in our place. He went to the cross of shame. His flesh was divided when the nails were driven through his hands and his feet. And he was affixed to the cross and the wrath of God was poured out on him. The punishment that we deserved was poured out on him. And Jesus died and he went into the grave. And we are the, the, the dividing wall of hostility is no longer there. The chasm is crossed, not just by Jesus' death, his crucifixion and death, but because he lives. Paul says it's his death and resurrection that justifies, that makes us right, that brings together, that bridges that gap. The great divide of following Jesus. You've had a glimpse of the, of the heavenly possibility. The, the Savior Jesus, he's calling to you today. Do you believe in God's only son? And if you do, are you prepared to pay the cost? To stand firm and be ready to give a defense for your hope? To give up everything and follow Jesus where he calls even to the point of societal scorn, rejection, and persecution, I leave you again, once again, with the words of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Amen.